0: Thanks for joining us, Jim and the Buckeye Boy today from the Bozarth Miller Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles. Coming up, we'll talk with Chassa Commissioner Mike Kruger. We've got a few uh, Chassa items that uh, were voted on by yeah, the, da, da, da. Oh. the Legislative Council the other day, involving the shot clock. How uh, how they're handling now in a, in a different way. I'm sorry. Just <laughs> I,
1: had, I amused the crap out of myself. It. <laughs> and, and
0: it amuses me as well. Uh, also, how the, the money's distributed when it comes to paying. In the past, it was you had to send a portion of your gate receipts to Chassa for postseason tournaments and things like that. That's now changed yeah. uh, in a positive way for um, for schools. And uh, But Mike also has another announcement that uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, I, I, this is something that's going to be really beneficial for mm-hmm. the Western Slope. This other thing that we haven't mentioned yet. It's
2: not fair to make them travel. It's only fair to make the Western Slope travel.
0: And do you mind if I come on and talk about it? I'm like, Mike, of course. I mean, the the commissioners always welcome on this. The breakfast. floor is yours. Absolutely.
3: Okay, da, 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 da. Oh.
0: So we'll have that uh, team's team of the week coming up in a little bit. And also, it is Thursday, which means it's time for, well, it'll be time for Piles' favorite game. Close. On a Thursday. Not yet, but here sometime this hour. Well, right now we need to do this because we didn't yeah. do it last hour. So we'll double up here. Yep. We'll take Texter 5 and 6 to get qualified for the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings big game giveaway for the big game mm-hmm. between the Chiefs and the 49ers. Ooh, what is Table for 6, 50 wings for February 11th out of Buffalo Wild Wings. Put your first name, last name on the text. beat ups on your text. Texter 5 and Texture 6, you're qualified. Once again, you don't win. We'll pick the winner next Thursday. Right, you're qualified. But you're qualified to win that table for six, along with 50 wings of Buffalo Wild Wings on February 11th. And don't forget, we'll have the game right here on the team. Prairie game starts at noon. Leaning up to uh, Super Bowl 58 uh-huh. at Legion Stadium in Las Vegas. All right, uh, get to uh, another text here from George this morning. I think Kansas wins the Big 12. Uh, They're going to be a top 15 team. Utah also in play. And I don't disagree with that because you're going to have Jalen Daniels back at Kansas after Jason Bean stepped in, did a really good job filling in for him, but Daniels is going to be back. Mm -hmm. And Cam Rising is going to be back at Utah. So you've got experienced quarterbacks, successful playmakers back to lead their teams in 2024 in the Big 12. Which is yeah. just weird to say Utah in the Big Twelve. Oh, but don't
1: forget Oklahoma State always finds a way to work into the top fifteen there.
0: Very true, very true. And Colorado hopes that they can go in you know for on the return of the Big Twelve and mm-hmm. with Shadur Sanders, who many people think could vie for the Heisman in twenty twenty four, to lead the Buffaloes. See if that revamped offensive line keeps him from being one of the most sacked quarterbacks yeah. in FBS football. At least keep him upright for yeah, a minute. Yeah, exactly. All right, 8.04, and um, let's go around the NFL to start things out in the 8 o'clock hour. The latest on the Broncos and the league. It's around the NFL on the Jim Davis Show. Yeah, we did want to finish up with RJ and Delta listening at 102.1 FM about uh, Eric B. enemy You're right, that is a name that just is not being mentioned at all. Yeah, the
1: heat's not there
0: that yeah. it was. I mean, once upon a time, he was, and it was surprising he didn't get hired. But it just seems like you you, you have not heard about him being interviewed by teams. No. It kind of just kind of feels like that his his moment ha- has come and gone. And by maybe by leaving Andy Reid and by leaving the Chiefs, that I know he wanted to, I think, go out and be his own guy. Mm. I think he wanted to show people that, I don't need Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I'm a I'm a bright offensive mind. I made a lot of contributions. I'm really good at this. I'm a head coaching candidate. And it didn't exactly work out in Washington. And a young guy and Sam Howell, who may or may not be their future quarterback that remains to be seen.
1: I mean, who their head coach is still remains to be seen. And that means and you don't hear his name on that list either. No, you, you don't do hear not. Eric being even as the in-house candidate, and so like I just feel that whatever was the reason that didn't get him hired after that first Chief Super Bowl, it just feels that his window is closed.
0: It feels that way. Passing yardage. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They finished 12th this season in terms of, I'm trying to look here and see. Yards per game. Okay, yards per game, they're not 12th. They're further down the list.
1: So at pro football reference, I have them 24th in yards. 24th in, yeah, the in passing yards.
0: So 18th in passing yards, that's not, that's not terrible. It's not terrible, not great. They also did it with, Sam Howell, Sam Howell, young quarterback. Jacoby set yeah. So the, the, I think the lack of that team having great success offensively, not horrible, but not but not Kansas City Chiefs caliber offensive success, right? Probably make people go, yeah, okay. A lot of that was Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes,
1: and it's a little unfair even that because. Like you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes, and then you have all the other guys around him. Like, they had Tyreek Hill for a time. They have Travis Kelsey. They have all these other guys. And, okay, he doesn't have them now, and now his numbers regress. It's like, that, that stands to reason. That's to be expected. But he wasn't getting jobs when he had those guys.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, there was apparently something there where he did not interview well. And... And he bet on himself by leaving Kansas City. Bet yeah. on himself because I think he felt like I need people are not hiring me because they think all my success or the, uh, me as a coach it's all based on what the, the people around me. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and I've got to show people I've got to bet on myself here. I got to go to Washington where it's it's a, a developing a young quarterback. If I can have success here, it shows that I truly. I'm, I'm, a lot of that was me, and I'm capable of being a head yeah, coach. It's and a it didn't huge gap, and, and it didn't work out that way. And now who knows where he's going to end up because most, more likely than not, he's not going to be there. Whoever come, comes in, whether it's they hire Mike Vrabel or, mm-hmm. you know, there was some talk that Ben Johnson might go there, but Ben Johnson's decided to stay in Detroit. And so we don't know what direction Josh Harris and the ownership group in Washington, what direction they're going. It doesn't seem that direction, though, was Eric bien though.
1: No, it doesn't. Like, he took over a bad offense, and the offense was bad. I mean, that's the fact of the matter, but it's still going to be held against you, especially when you regress in the win column by half. You go from eight wins to four wins. You're, everybody's going to be held to blame for that. Those are not the hot, young, offensive, defensive coordinator candidates that get jobs. Like Ben Johnson organized the Lions from one extreme to the other. Mike McDaniel helped the Ravens defense that on paper was all right, turned to be a really good unit by the time the season was all said and done. Those are the guys that are going to be in this next cycle. And who knows who's next next
0: year. And you mentioned Mike McDonald who was announced officially. They, they showed mm-hmm. the video of him going into team headquarters uh, with his family. Mike McDonald, now the new head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, defensive coordinator of of the Ravens. And so they go from one of the oldest coaches in the league, Pete Carroll, at 72, to the youngest coach in the league in Mike McDonald at 36. And this will be his first time ever as a head coach, any yep. level, as, head, as a head coach. Not in, not in Pee Wee football, high school, college. This is his first head coaching job. Now, McDonald led the Ravens in scoring defense this season, 16.5 points per game. Sacks was 60. And they became the first team that also led in takeaways. So scoring defense, sacks, and takeaways, first team in league history to rank first in all three of those categories. So he plans on trying to create his own legion of boom, if you will, in Seattle as the head coach, I do like the trend though that not not that other coaches we use the term retreads aren't you know, some coaches deserve another opportunity because maybe they went in and the personnel department didn't do a particularly good job building right. the roster they they inherited a bad situation and just couldn't make a workout or they had success but they had like one bad year. And ownership decides to pull the plug after one subpar season. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about Mike Vrabel a little bit, that that's how they they handle yeah. the Vrabel situation.
1: That one, they kind of fluffed up the whole the whole organization in the span of two years.
0: But I do think it's a good thing that the, the younger coaches, young guys like a Mike McDonald, are getting their opportunity. In Canales in mm-hmm. Carolina, though, I think that's... That's uh, that's doomed to failure. That seems like that is just a, a, a doomed to fail relationship with David Tepper and him. Yeah. He's 42. He's a young guy. It's good he's getting an opportunity. But, man, with dealing with that ownership, that owner and that ownership group is going to be very, very tough moving forward. We'll see what happens. Uh, looks like there might be a, a Shula on the Dolphins staff that uh, Tom Palliser of NFL Media says that uh, Rams linebackers coach and pass rush coordinator Chris Shula will join the Miami Dolphins. Of course, his grandpa Don, two Super Bowls, mm-hmm. five AFC championships as the coach in Miami, still the winningest coach in league history. But it looks like there will be a Shula on the staff, Mike McDaniel's staff, coming up here very soon. It's
1: Mike Shula's kid, right?
0: I believe, yes, that is correct. It's Mike Shula's son. Also, before I dive into some Broncos stuff here in just a moment, Tom Brady Sr. had some thoughts about his son's former head coach. Dave Shula's kid, Dave. Okay, no, okay. Hey, Shula, though. Yeah. He's still the grandson of Don Shula. Right. So, Tom Brady Sr. had some feelings about Bill Belichick. He uh, did an interview with the Boston Globe, Brady Sr. Bill is tough. He runs a military system. It's a different generation. Bill is a great, great, great coach, but his interpersonal skills are horrible. That's the bottom line. How many times has he said back in 15 or 16 that he wanted to win without Tommy? When he went without Tommy, he didn't know what he, he, didn't know what he was losing. You're losing more than just a quarterback. Ego sometimes get in the way, gets in the way of things. I think it did with Bill. Now he's in a situation where he's gotten crucified the last few years by everybody, and a lot of luster has come off his rose. Anything that Tom Brady senior said there, you feel like is unfair about Bill Belichick? No, it doesn't feel that way does it? Cuz there did seem to be a point where he wanted he wanted Brady to be gone. Yeah. And it, and we got forced to trade Garoppolo cuz it seemed like he wanted to replace Brady with Garoppolo. And it then,
1: tracks what we know already.
0: Yeah, and it just, Tom Brady Sr. is kind of verifying, yeah, all the things you know about Bill Belichick are pretty pretty spot on.
1: Not that complicated a guy.
0: Brady Sr. says that Patriots owner Robert Kraft knows he bet on the wrong horse when he listened to Belichick's evaluation of an aging player and let Brady Jr. leave New England for Tampa Bay. Brady Sr. said that when the Brady family went to the Patriots season opener, Kraft approached them and told them, He should have let Brady finish his career anyway, shouldn't have let him finish his career anywhere but New England. He said, I made a mistake. He told us that back in September. We don't all make the right decisions, but he made a hell of a lot of good ones over the years. But I know that it galls him that Tommy went elsewhere and won. Not that he won, but that he won after Bill said he was done. I could see Bob Kraft saying that to Tom Brady Sr. in light of what happened. Junior goes to Tampa Bay. Junior wins a Super Bowl, gets his seventh ring. Does it without Bill Belichick, who wanted him gone. If I'm Bob Kraft, got the greatest quarterback of all time, in a lot of people's opinion, I would have preferred for him to maybe won one more for us, but retired as a New England Patriot. Brady wanted to. Mm-hmm. He he never had the wanderlust of what it'd be like to play someplace else constantly. Even with, with the relationship being what it was with Belichick, he still seemed like he wanted to stay there. Right. And that finally he had to leave because he was not welcome anymore by Bill Belichick. I guess your Bob Kraft would would have some some regret about letting Bill Belichick convince him to to move on. All right, so uh, we've talked about the Broncos' uh, coaching staff. Uh, down in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl, evaluating talent, looking at quarterbacks. But here's something else, and it's a really good piece on The Athletic about, sure, quarterback might be a problem for this football team. Whether you love Russell Wilson or like us, we still think Russell Wilson is more than serviceable as a quarterback. But they are bigger offensive problems, and we've, we've hit on this before, and this article kind of uh, follows along with it. And some of this, it's more centered on the running back position. Because when Denver became one dimensional, as most teams do, when they become one dimensional, they seldom have success. And Javante Williams, who had 774 yards this year, played in 16 games. His first season back after the very serious knee injury that he had in 2022, that Williams... Dropped to 3.6 yards per carry from 4.4. And then his second season, 4.3. And that when they had the six-game losing streak, he averaged only he averaged under 40 yards per game. And that Sean Payton said he didn't think Williams declining production at the end of the season was a matter of the third year running back hitting the wall after a lengthy offseason of rehab. But that the running back's health will be part of the end of the season evaluation. Denver began on its roster this week. So they have to decide, is he the guy that first two seasons averaged almost four yards of carry after contact or the guy that dropped to 2.71 in 2023? Also, what role will Samaje Pirine play going forward? Because that was one thing that did work out Mm -hmm. was getting Samaje Pirine. Because Pirine... Who didn't get a a ton of time behind Joe Mixon in Cincinnati comes to Denver, and P. Ryan carried the ball 53 times, the the fewest of his career. Uh, and during the season where he played seven or more games, he actually numbers dropped off number of carries from what he had behind Joe Mixon. He had 95 carries behind Joe Mixon, but where he got more run and more opportunities was in the pass game. Where he had a career high 56 targets. And he was huge in the wins over the Bills and the Vikings.
1: Yeah, he's he's a big piece. And if you take a look at the running backs combined touches, he's still third behind Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin. Jaleel McLaughlin had the 76 carries and 36 targets. Like I don't know how much you can depend on him. Just his size to carry the load. And Javante Williams was ineffective. He was fourth in yards per average. He had all of those touches. He had nearly 270 touches and still had under four yards per touch, barely over a thousand yards from scrimmage, rushing and receiving. He played 16 of the 17 games. Samaji Ryan was the lone consistent week in and week out, but where's the end of his service life when you continually use him to 50 carries, 50 passes a season.
0: Now, McLaughlin did finish second on the team with 76 carries. He did average 5.4 yards per attempt, and the price is right. He said to count only, you know, 920000 against the salary cap next season. Do they feel he can be the next Alvin Kamara, that that joker back? I'm with you. As much as I love Jaleel McLaughlin, his speed is no doubt. He's elite when it comes to his speed. His size and inability to break tackles Mm -hmm. at times, at least as a rookie, has to be a concern. And there's no more feature back,
1: third down back in the league. You need two guys. And I don't know what the combination is going to be, and I don't know what's the one you want to take up the space.
0: Absolutely. All right, 819, Jim along with the Buckeye boy from the Bozarth Miller. Chevrolet Buick Studios, the most trusted name in automobiles coming up chassis commissioner mike krueger in just a few minutes i think we've got mike on the line right now that is correct okay so we'll talk with him in just a moment but right now we need to play the piles favorite game on a thursday which is
1: yes up for grabs today is it a case of new belgium courtesy of our friends at high country beverage first correct answer on the text line 970-242-1340 gets it if you've won any time in the last two weeks sit it out If you are under the age of 21, sit it out. If you do not want the prize, also sit it out. Today is the first day of February. That means tomorrow is Groundhog Day. One of my most famous moments is replayed in Bronco lore over and over and over and over again. Tomorrow is also my birthday. And not even from my playing career is this Broncos lore used, but I was one of six players to be drafted by the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball.
0: Who is it? All right, so if you won the last two weeks, don't play. Yep. Simple as that. If you're not 21, don't play. Mm-hmm. If you don't like beer, don't, don't play. play. Yeah. Otherwise, you have a chance to win a case of New Belgium beer from a high country beverage and get into the never-ending contest for this month. You can win $5,000 from England Fence and Montrose toward Fence Products, a uh, new custom gate or electric gate operators, pergola or log archway, englandfence.com. But uh, right now, text in your answer. First correct answer wins at 970 242 1340.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. What are the haps? The
0: Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, The Team. Welcome back. Jim with the Buckeye Boy. And joining us right now is the commissioner of the Colorado High School Activities Association, our friend Mike Kruger. Hello, Mike. How are you doing?
3: Jim, Real, good morning, guys. It's always good to join you. Happy Thursday.
0: Uh, happy Thursday to you as well, Mike, before we talk about some of these other things like the vote on the shot clock and the mm-hmm. change in the, the fee scale, if you will, or the way the the fees are are uh, dealt yep. with in terms of the playoffs. Uh, I know you had some big news. You texted me about this and asked to, to come yes. on, and always great to have you come on. Uh, mm-hmm. There's something that's going to have an impact on the Western Slope in a very positive way, and that's uh, Assistant Commissioner Michael Book He's going to be on the western slope now he's from steamboat originally correct
3: right yep and he still has family that lives in his son lives in Gunnison and uh, you know Mike spent a lot of years in, in Gunnison uh, with his professional career so yeah he is very very familiar with uh, and grew you know with the western slope and has spent a lot of time over there uh, during his professional career so he's he's very excited to be going back home to the West slope
0: so this is a pilot program where where Mike is going to act as basically a voice for CHASA to 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 work with schools on the Western Slope. So there's an actual person that will, will deal with this part of the state and a, a guy that obviously knows this part of the state very, very well.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, we, it was something we've been talking about for a, a number of years. I thought about it years ago when I was uh, at Palisade. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a kind of a, a big switch for us. We've never Done that, but um, you know the, the Mike approached me last spring, earlier last year, and said, um, you know, I'm thinking, um, and when I retire, I'm going to move over to the Western Slope, and and we were just having a conversation, and and it just kind of morphed into what if what if that happened earlier, and um, it's something we've been, you know, I know personally, I've been toying with, and but we wanted to, uh, it is a fundamental change, and and as I brought it, uh, the idea after thinking about it for a while, and. Um, You know talking to Mike and then I brought it to uh, the staff and especially Monica his assistants and you know We talked through it uh, for about six months and said what could that look like? What would it entail? And we thought the the, uh, Right decision here was and give us an opportunity to as you mentioned pilot it see how it does see if it's effective Um, There's no doubt in my mind that it would be beneficial to have someone uh, over on the West Slope that can uh, be you know not readily accessible but can get to events and and feel you know and be a liaison in that sense uh but certainly we're going to learn from it we're going to see you know how it works but uh you know i'm really excited about it and i think you know if it if it is very successful we you know at least that opens the ideas that you know if that would be effective in other parts of the state if we ever wanted to go that route so lots to learn uh through this but we're really excited and i think it's going to be incredibly beneficial uh to the schools the 58 schools that we have on the west slope
0: Chassis commissioner mike kerger with us today on the team sports network so will will mike work out of steamboat how is that going to work and where Uh, where will he be based out of
3: yeah, he's actually going to be based out of Grand Junction. Okay. Um, and we are working with uh, Mace County Valley School District 51 and Paul Kane uh, to see if there's some uh, space we could find Mike there. Um, you know, we do want him to have an office. And uh, we want him to have a place that, uh, you know, he can work out of. So uh, Paul has been great. Mace County Valley School District has been great. But we felt that Grand Junction is centrally located. Uh, you know, when you think about going south of, of G.J. or you think of going north from G.J. and from Steamboat to Ignacio and North Park to Dub Creek, uh, you know, G.J.'s kind of fall, Grand Junction falls right in the middle there. So it's, it's a good home base for him. And so he is uh, looking in that area. And so I, he is going to be based out of G.J.
0: So how soon will Mike Book start working as essentially kind of a Western Slope commissioner but working for you out of here? When when does that start, Mike?
3: Yeah, um, it's going to start sometime this uh, probably late spring, um, early summer. Uh, you know, a part of it has to do with um, housing for Mike. Uh, we're really ready to go at any time. We've been talking about this internally for a while, and the board of directors uh, has known about it and has really been incredibly supportive. Uh, you know, we have Heidi Voringer from Montrose and Ty Gray from Dove Creek uh, on our board, and along with uh, a number of board members that have ties to the Western Slope. And and but our board as a as a whole was very supportive, and um, so we we think that any time um, this spring, it, it'll depend on when Mike can find housing and as soon as we can get the office space set up. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happened anytime from April to June.
0: So. All right. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea to have somebody a voice for CHASA, that's on this side of the hill. That can, if there's something that needs to be addressed in in Durango or or Montrose or mm-hmm. here or or Craig, that there's that that person that can go and and represent Chass and deal with some of the the, the issues that uh, impact high schools and have that that face and that voice with Mike Book uh, representing, uh, of course, you Mike and, and the folks over in Denver. We're talking with uh, Mike Kruger, the uh, commissioner of the Colorado High School Activities Association the uh, legislative council voted on a few things. Uh, are talking about local people. We had Paul Kane on, uh, yesterday to talk about this. Uh, Paul's the tournament and playoff finance committee chairperson. And, uh, it's a, it's a change in how playoff, I, I guess, monies are, are, are utilized where, uh, host schools in the past paid a percentage of their playoff gate revenue to Chassa. And then also a portion to help reimburse visiting teams for traveling. But, uh, the new, uh, the new amendment passed pretty good uh, margin 56 to 14 that each member school will pay an annual fee for Chassa based on what that school's basketball classification is. And so they'll be able to keep profits from playoff games. So this is a, it's an important change. It changes a structure that uh, you know has been, been looked at and criticized off and on over the years.
3: Yeah, no doubt. And I have no doubt. Paul did a great job of explaining it way better than I can. But uh, I was lucky enough to sit in on those meetings that Paul was leading and our director of finance, Sarah Vernon Bruner, was leading. And uh, just, uh, you know, just to to listen to the process. And I'll tell you, you know, you know, Paul very well, Jim, and most of your listeners do. He's, he's an incredible leader. He is just a great mind for that, especially when it comes to finances and, um, you know, Paul's leadership really, led you know, he he really led us through this. And and with that being said, I think you're right. It is something that I know even back to the days when I was an AD and a district A D um, it was a process that was constantly being brought up Is can we look at this? Can we do something different with it? And it, it's tedious. There's a lot of work that goes into filing every school, filing forms for every postseason event that they host, getting reimbursements to the other school and, um, and the formulas, figuring out, you know, because the host school still keeps some money, but the other money goes back to the visiting school. And then part of those proceeds coming to our operating expenses as an organization. And so uh, Paul did a great job of leading us through that process and looking at data and comparing data from years in past and what that means for CHASA. And, you know, it's really not going to impact our organization because Paul and the team used uh, averages over the last five to seven years. And, and so it really doesn't affect us. It really truly is a procedural and process change. And I think the best way to look at it is um, it's, you know, it's, we are a benefit-sharing organization every, every 365, 367 of our schools benefit from the, the programs that we, we host, you know, and that we promote, so music, student leadership, uh, including our athletic programs, eSports, the whole nine yards, and, but, but that with that comes cost-sharing, so it hasn't been as much of a cost-sharing approach. Um, which is going to impact some of our schools differently. And we're looking to see how that impact's going to help them or how it's going to affect them. That could be positive. It could be in some years, you know, a little bit of a downturn. But we, we definitely are trying to listen to and look at what those impacts might be. But what I am comfortable in saying is this is much more of a membership-focused approach uh, when it comes to tournament and playoff finance. And I know for sure for a fact that our host schools, um, are definitely going to benefit in the sense that they will be keeping more of the money that they bring in. And then after certain net proceeds, there will be a cost, a percentage that goes back to the visiting team. So we, uh, I know Paul and the group really tried to cover all their bases with that, and I think they did a great job. And I know also that we're going to have to pay attention to what some of these impacts are for our schools that don't don't make it to the playoffs as much uh, historically, but we there are definitely other pieces of this that are going to uh, we can find that will benefit all of our schools. So I'm um, really proud of the work that they did.
0: Yeah, the the two districts that were really opposed at Denver Public Schools or Public Schools, and, and part yeah. of their Mike, part of what and Paul and I talked about this a little bit, and, and Paul relayed some of this information to us was their concern that they don't have teams make the playoffs often enough. There's already the the annual membership dues the the fee per each sport activity and then you'll have this uh, this this fee also that goes on on top of that that they feel like well we don't have teams to make the playoffs so this seems like an unfair thing yeah. for us to have to pay which I, I find that i find that curious that that you i don't know if I'm a coach in one of those two uh, those two districts I feel like, well you don't feel like the work we have teams capable of competing and, and making the playoffs? And I get it. Historically, there's, you know, those some of those numbers back up what they're saying. But it just seems like an odd thing to to, to bring up that, well, we don't have teams that are competitive. They're going to be playoff teams, so why should we have to pay this?
3: Well, um, you know, I... I have some experience from being at APS and I know I've worked, I sat down and talked with Kevin, Benji, and and Casey Powell, the district ADs, from both of those districts prior to to Tuesday, and I think some of it, too, I I definitely understand their concerns, and I agree, you know, I think all of our schools, we hope that there's a, a uh, hopeful desire that we all can partake in the in the postseason and we can look at some of those things too in terms of our playoff formats and and make sure how we can help uh, but a, a point I, I want to make on that too is uh, with the current system it's not very desirable to host some of these regional events because it does cost you quite a it can cost thousands of dollars and you're you've either earned the right to host those or you know there's a number of those regional events we're looking for schools to host and we I just felt like you know and and kudos again to Paul and the and the team but you know should we have a system where it costs you or it's, it's a penalty to deserve to host those games? And and now it should encourage our schools like, you know, I hope that uh, DPS, APS, all of our, you know, the Mace County schools, everybody is, has a stronger desire to step in and say, hey, I'll host this wrestling regional because it's not going to end up costing me thousands of dollars. I can now make money, you know, and, and I benefit from hosting and I can pay my workers, pay the security upgrades, pay the facility fees, and hopefully at the same time, give some money back to the visiting schools. The thing that is, uh, you know, uh, the, that we heard from a number of our schools, too, is, you know, it's nice, you know, you can budget for a fee where you can say, here's what we're going to send to our membership organization. But after that, um, we keep everything and and we keep, you know, all the money that's coming in and it can help offset those costs. And that, that to me seemed like uh, I'd like... I think it, it is a different fundamental approach, but I think it is membership focused and we will certainly work with all of our schools, not just uh, APS and DPS to address some of those impacts. And I know Paul and, and the group will continue to evaluate those impacts and we'll see where we can continue to support and keep money in our schools.
0: And just for transparency for the, the people that are listening, what, what this is going to cost as far as the, this, the, the playoff fee, if you will, uh, one, A schools, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Mike, this comes from the Denver post, uh, 1A schools will pay $600 on top of the membership fee and the the per sport fee. 2A is $800, 3A is $1000, 4A is 1400, 5A is 1900 and 6A is
3: $2600. That's those are all correct. Okay. Yeah. So, and it that's a one-time annual fee. So, a 1A school, you know, pays uh $600 and that's it for the year. And then any money they make after that or a 2A school the same you know, 800, they they keep everything after that so no additional money has come into the to the membership organization
0: it, so, it just seems like it is a real a real positive change in regard to schools being able to 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 make money and paul talked about you know time sending money over to Chass in the past for after football playoff games and and a big chunk of change that that yep. left district 51 and now and, and other school districts have had to deal with that as well so I think it's been a, it's a really positive change. Uh, what they approved uh, yesterday with or the other day with the legislative council, Mike Kruger, chassis commissioner, with us today, and then Mike will wrap it up with the the vote by the legislative council on the shot clock. Uh, there was some negotiating and things you know that, that went on there, but ultimately, the legislative council voted against the shot clock uh, when we had Paul on with us. He said yeah, it's it's dead for now, but kind of like kind of like Jason or. No offense, Freddy Krueger. Uh, <laughs> that Keeps uh, coming back? That uh, oh, that, it, yeah. that he he doesn't he thinks it'll it'll probably come back at some point.
3: I I anticipate that yes, uh, as well. I I think the neat thing you said there was some really good debate on it, which I I absolutely love. Um, you know, we sometimes in the in a past few years, you know, we'd come to legislative council and everybody kind of knew how they're going to vote on something. And there wasn't a lot of debate where years ago we did used to have quite a bit of debate on things. And I think it's a good, I think it's good because it means we're probably doing a good job of communicating things out and leagues and our member schools know where where they fall on things. But I really enjoyed the debate. I really liked the fact that uh, there was a little, there was contentious discussion, you know, and said, Hey, that's the way our membership works, right? That's we're a membership driven organization. Um, We don't get to make all these policies over here and I'd love to and sometimes but our membership makes these policies our membership makes the bylaws and creates the legislation and the shot clock's no different and um, I do think Paul is exactly right though I think there was uh, parts of the shot clock proposal that there was some, some feeling that maybe we'd like a couple of things changed uh, a couple to look at things a couple of ways uh, differently in terms of the implementation I anticipate that we will probably see something as early as April uh, this April at Legislative Council at least another proposal and we'll see where the membership is with it at that time but um, you know I really felt like it was the membership working and um, you know and it was not you couldn't really point out it wasn't a specific like you know all the West Slope schools voted one way or all the small schools voted one way that was spread out through the membership so um, I think the, the those proponents of the shot clock have a little bit of work to do to find out what the areas that were con- causing uh, concern. And if they want to bring it back and see if we can get the membership behind it, then uh, we'll do that. But I really thought it was very evidenced of the fact that we're a membership-driven organization and the membership just wasn't ready uh, Tuesday or right now to implement the shot clock the way it was being proposed. So
0: when Paul joined us yesterday, we we, we talked about this and I said, are we, are we trying to Address a problem that doesn't really exist, and yeah. Paul, I think, tends to feel that way. That it's it's yeah. not. It, it teams are not holding the ball 4 corner for for three minutes and things like that on any kind of regular basis. I know you and I when we saw each other recently. Um, I don't know if I should share this, but you you seem to huh. kind of echo. You know, you did all, you know, the old basketball coaches. You already did a little scouting. You went to some games <laughs> and and charted some yep. possessions. And and Mike, you you know, you tend to feel that then maybe there is, this isn't really a problem that needs to be solved.
3: Well, I think I look at it a little bit more like, Is it? what's the impact going to be? And so last year during the state basketball tournament, you know, I did spend a couple games, and you're right, you know, the old basketball coach in me, but I charted the number of possessions that actually went over 30 seconds, not even 35. And they were very limited, if, if any, in, in a, you know, less than, I'd say in some games, less than five possessions. Uh and in some games, almost none that went over 30 seconds in the state of the, you know, state of play these days isn't like the days when you're talking to a, a guy that used to run the Princeton offense and slow it down because we couldn't, comp- uh, you know, we, we were always running up against those big guys from junction and fruit and central. So, um, but we, we use that as a strategy, you know, to try to keep the game close, but um, you know, my feeling is not, so I don't necessarily have super strong feelings one way or another on the implementation. I just feel like what I do want to ask, you know, what is the impact going to be on the game? And I think there are scenarios where we've seen a game here or there where somebody pulls it out and, and goes four corners to try to slow the game down, especially toward the end of the half or end of the game. Um, and that's a strategy that can be employed. As far as a huge impact on the game itself, I'm, I'm not quite in that uh, boat yet to say, think that it's going to be so impactful that uh, we we know it's going to have these great impacts and it's going to make a huge difference. But at the same time, I know there's a strong component that says this is where the game is today. And, and, you know, Colorado is one of the, starting to become one of the few states that doesn't have it and there's some big reasons why why they do want to adopt it so I think it's a matter of looking at it from impact and then when you're a school that maybe is you know you're operating on tighter budgets um, you have to weigh that into the what's the benefit and what is the impact as opposed to what it's going to cost us and I think that's where the state got a little uh, you know the membership got a little bit of pushback was uh, thinking about that is it worth uh, you know this the the cost that it's going to uh, be to, to put it in our gyms but um yeah it'll be interesting to see where we go from here and where the membership goes on it and i but i expect we'll be talking about it and many people were made comments a uh, little bit you know saying oh great we get to talk about shot clock for the next four months again but um i think that's a good thing we the membership's voice uh, always drives the ship so we're excited about that
0: hey mike was appreciate it before we go
1: you know mike. what always keeps coming back
0: canada ah. that
3: <laughs> Rio, i miss you man
0: yeah <laughs> I yeah, I, I don't oh miss my him, god and i'm, I'm right across the classroom that's I one really, of my favorite <laughs> i don't really miss him so okay, uh, you guys oh. keep up the
3: great work you guys and we re- we really appreciate you and good luck as we get into the basketball season I hope we'll see you down here uh for some of the state games
0: i'm, I'm sure we will hey mike always appreciate it my friend take care
3: Thanks, my friend. I'll talk to you soon.
0: All right. Mike Kruger, commissioner Good of the Colorado High School Activities Association.
3: He's running ah. on
0: the program this morning. All right. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. And it's our team's team of the week. That's next on The Jim Davis Show.
1: First of all, it's hilarious. Twisted individuals. Yes. Yeah! The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports
0: leader, the team. It's the team's team of the week on The Jim Davis Show. Alright, our team's team of the week. We go to the wrestling mats for the Wildcats wrestling team with head coach Lucas Archuleta, also 144-pound Oren Meese and 285-pound Tatum Williams joining us. They're our team's team of the week. Lucas, Oren, Tatum, thanks for coming on today, guys. Uh, thanks for having us. Well, Lucas, uh, your wrestling team, you, you made that trip down to Durango. Uh, you wrestled Durango and Montrose down there. Uh, picked up victories against both of those schools. You continue to to roll this year in Southwestern League Wrestling, uh, your teams uh, continue to perform really well in the upper and lower weights, uh, all all up and down the lineup.
4: Yeah, you know, uh, we got a good group coming in this year, and they're doing a good job working together and getting each other ready to go. You know, uh, they had a goal of coming in and, and winning the Southwest League um, for the fourth year in a row, which they did with those wins, um, kind of as a jumping board getting into regionals and state um, and continuing just getting better each week and and being able to go over and uh hopefully compete for a state title as a team
0: we have uh, oran meese at 144 pounds he won the title over at uh, the uh, north Glen norris invitational here a couple of weeks ago and oran what it, what does it mean for this uh, this team to win a fourth straight southwestern league title
2: um it honestly means a lot to me because um it's uh kind of a big part with um all my friends and it's just like an accomplishment that we've all kind of had since we were freshmen and uh we all just wanted to come in and be the freshman that wanted it, be the sophomore that's on it and continue the legacy
0: who had the, has maybe had the biggest impact an upperclassman in the past oren that 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 had an impact on you as a wrestler you know carrying on that tradition of winning league titles and and what it means to wrestle at Ferdinand. Is there a, a guy or two in the past that uh, that helped kind of uh, mold you as a wrestler?
2: Um, there was a few. Um, Tyler Archuleto is a big one because he's still coming in and wrestling with us um, and getting us better every day. But it was kind of just a team aspect of just um, the seniors headed out and we need to keep carrying their legacy.
0: It's our team's team of the week with the Fruto Monmouth Wildcats wrestling team. They just captured their fourth straight Southwestern League title with uh, the, the sweep down at Durango, taking down the Demons and also Montrose. We also have 285-pounder Tatum Williams, who's ranked second right now at 285 and on the on the mat rankings. And, and Tatum, you got a win down at uh, Durango uh, at, at 285. And, and just for you, kind of take us through how the season's progressed for you. Ranked right now as so number two uh, in your weight class.
5: Um, It's been a good season. I've I've definitely had some ups and downs, lost a couple of matches that, you know, felt I really should have won or, you know, been closer in and, you know, it's been a good season. I felt like I've made a lot of improvement. You know, I'm in a great room. My coaches are giving me great opportunities and I've got a lot of great wrestling partners uh, help me get better every day and I'm excited for regionals and state these next two
0: weekends. For you, Tatum, who's maybe been the the, the the teammate and the coach that have helped you maybe refine your technique a little bit of has pushed you, but also has uh, has helped you in, in terms of getting yourself ready for postseason.
5: I mean, as far as teammates, I I guess there's a couple. Uh, I wrestle with our two fifteen pounder Sean franzen every day, our one ninety pounder uh, True Tobias and every day, and there's a couple of JV kids that you know work in and. You know, they, they help too, you know, because you get a different feel, you get a different look. Everybody, you know, steps up and everybody's a great partner. As far as coaching, you know, Lucas builds us a great schedule and makes sure that we're getting plenty of mat time and good tough matches when we travel. And we travel with purpose. And then in the room, uh, Brandon Stewart's been a big part of helping us push and be the best wrestlers that we can be
0: and of course you know what success is like on the mats but also from the from the football field as well playing for coach ross uh yeah we're talking with tatum williams also uh meese of the fruto monument wrestling team they just won their uh, fourth straight South southwestern league regular season title uh, i should mention the true Tobiasen, by the way is ranked third at 190 right now in the on-the-mat rankings uh, wildcats ranked third right now in 5a uh, as well and And, Lucas, uh, like I said, it's been a successful season in terms of the the league championship, but also getting that state recognition uh, right now number three in the state.
4: Yeah, it's been great. You know, going in, uh, we have kind of a target on our back now. Usually we come in kind of as the underdog and and try to sneak up on people. And this year we've we've kind of been up there towards the top of the rankings. Um, You know, with the goal to go in and compete with Ponderosa and Pomona in the next couple weeks, Um, we've been really fortunate. You know, we have great upperclassmen that um, have helped kind of mold our room and get it going the way it is and then we have a great group of of freshmen that came in that stepped right in and just started competing right away you know we have um, Kel Unrine I think he's ranked fourth or something like that Um, you know uh, um, Gage Shalaski is oh I can't remember if he's third or second right now you know and they're just going on and just competing just like our upperclassmen are and don't miss a beat when they're in the room and just you know our room just stays tough and they keep going after each other and getting each other better.
0: And also, I think, Lucas, having Central in the league and, and the success that they've had this year, they're 6 right now, the Clint Trujillo's team, you know, the old iron sharpens iron thing, not just the guys that are uh, in your wrestling room, but but a team like Central also challenges you and makes your team better as well.
4: Yeah, it's, it's great having um, good competition here. You know, the, the best thing about it, though, is that, you know, in the off offseason, um, we're able to train together at times. You know, some of their kids come in here, we go down that way. Um, you know, and that's with all all the schools here. You know, there's a couple of Junction kids, a couple of Palisade kids um, that we work out with over over the break. And, you know, for us to be competitive, we have to get our best kids together um, and just help each other get better. All
0: right, so a couple of questions for both Oren and Tatum here about your teammates. We'll start out uh, with both of you on this one. Oren, we'll, we'll begin with you. The teammate that has the worst taste in music when you guys are on road trips, that maybe he has, to, he has to blast, and a lot of guys just listen to their music on their phones, you got their earbuds in. But is there somebody that feels like they've got to crank it up when you're in the van or at the hotel or whatever?
2: Um, I gotta go with, hmm, a tough one. i want to say it, Brent Stewart. He's he is a crazy
0: little dude. <laughs> uh, so so is it is it the music? What what does he what does he do that makes you guys a little bit crazy? Or he's a crazy dude, and you guys would just shake your head at some of the stuff that he does.
2: Well, he is about as wound tight as you can get. He's always poking or trying to get at you in any sort of way, no matter where we are or what we're doing. Um. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a crazy little
0: dude. Does he mess with you, Tatum? I mean, you're a big guy. You're 285. I mean, does he mess with you at all?
5: Yeah, Brent picks on everybody, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's what makes him so much fun, though. He he picks on everybody.
0: Well, good. He's equal opportunity. Uh, have you ever had to kind of put him in his place a little bit? You know, out of the mats.
5: No, because I don't, I don't, I don't wrestle with any of the smaller guys, obviously for safety reasons. <laughs> sure. Uh, but I, I pick on him back. Obviously, right. I'll put him in a cradle, or I'll grab him and I'll pick him up, make sure he can't run away.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's, that's, yeah. You have to, you know, you you're you're being a gentle giant there. You're putting him in his place, in in a very safe way. Hey guys, we appreciate it. Uh, Lucas Archuleta, coach of the Fruit of Monument Wrestling Team, Oren Meese and Tatum Williams, uh, champions of the Southwestern League for the fourth straight year. Guys, thanks for coming on for a few minutes today, and and best of luck uh, with with the regionals and state coming up. We appreciate the time.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: us. All right. Take care. All right. Uh, Fruit of Monument Wrestling, our teams team of the week. All right. so uh, wrestlers.
1: It's an interesting group. It it is. There are a bunch of interesting cats in that
0: room. uh, Did you ever wrestle?
1: I did about three weeks in third grade back in Ohio. Realized it really wasn't for me getting dumped on my head like that.
0: Yeah, it's funny because we we wrestled in like PE and in elementary school and I always played basketball and I didn't really have any interest in wrestling. And in seventh grade I decided because basketball and wrestling weren't the same time. I was gonna wrestle and i ended up wrestling dean hall an awful lot which uh yeah
1: i don't know state how that, champion. that may not have turned out very it
0: well. was it was interesting we'll put it that way glad i stayed on the hardwood not the wrestling mats